Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding. See next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it is going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. If this is the first time you're tuning in with us, hit that subscribe button to the podcast app or the iTunes app or Spotify. Hit that subscribe button. That's the best way to get the word out about what we're doing here. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button as well. We appreciate all the support, bringing you three podcasts a week and having a lot of fun doing it. So in today's podcast, we are going to be talking about insurance stocks. This is actually, as an industry, that people reach out to me a lot saying, Mm you know, certain things we should talk about. It's always insurance. Okay. I think insurance is very, and insurance companies are very complicated to people. Mm-hmm. Banks the same way. So a lot, a lot of times people stay away from, I guess, just financials in general. Um, but I thought we should talk about, you know, progressive a little bit. You've talked about before how you have felt that is one of the better insurance companies out there. Right. And we could pull up other insurance stocks that would be a little bit more in our uh, framework, I guess you could say, okay. our, our pond uh, that we fish in and uh, really just talk about the differences there. And I don't know what it is. I mean, is it a scale thing? Because I look at progressive and I look at a lot of the key statistics and like the high level overview. And then mm-hmm. I look at a lot of these smaller yeah, insurance companies that are like a couple hundred million market cap and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just the return on equities are garbage. Everything is just garbage. So I was just kind of <laughs> curious about that. Um, mm-hmm. But I know you've talked about, I was reading some past stuff that you've written about, you know, progressive is your favorite. You really like auto insurers. Uh, that's your typically your favorite type of insurance. Um, they have very little investment risk. They make a lot on underwriting and they have very high retention rates. That's true for, uh, basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, de- depends on the business because Geico, which has the same model as progressive, takes investment risk and progressive once did a long time ago mm-hmm. um but yeah they basically take that out and then they have high amounts of um underwriting risk uh what do you look for i guess to start in an insurance business so you look at the type of underwriting they're doing mm-hmm. but then you look at other things as well like a long history of a low combined ratio stuff yeah like the that. most important thing is a very long history operating in that same business um a lot of people suggest insurance companies to me. The biggest issue is that they're switching from one type of business to another all the time, writing different kinds of risks, and then they're quickly out of that business and then into another one. A lot of times working through brokers to do that, um, and those are the ones that are kind of popular that way. Uh, generating a fair amount of float also reinsures that people um, suggest. Uh, whereas progressive, like to understand progressive and things like that, I would say read uh, the book Capital Allocation, the chapter on Geico. Uh, it gets into a lot of detail on that, how they were underwriting so much, um, you know, in terms of how much leverage they were using and all that kind of information about it. I think it's useful for understanding Progressive. Progressive Geico and USA are similar. Yeah, and the reason I was doing this was because I was, I've was i been looking for an insurance company Okay. because I feel like great ones you could just hold forever uh-huh. if they're doing the right things. And just a bunch of the ones I came across, I'm like, gosh, all these just look like garbage. Well, so one of the interesting things is prog- about Progressive mm-hmm. is Progressive has a sort of, um, we talk about this in this report on it, it has a very specific goal. It basically says that they want to grow as fast as possible with a combined ratio of 96 or um, 
better. Uh, not really, actually, 96. That, that is their goal. So um, what you want to do, so in other words, they want to make $0.04 cents per, do- per dollar um, that they underwrite, that they collect in premiums, but they want to grow as fast as possible. And that's important because if they were to maximize underwriting profit and stuff, they want to grow as fast as possible, which is what they need to scale and all that. So they're a growth company. But if they try to aim for 100, which in theory is fine, because then they would make money off the investment side of things and you know whatever you can convince yourself it's fine um that would present certain problems so that's really their goal you can see that they miss that severely at times there was a period where they became concerned about things that kind of didn't come to pass um so they were overly conservative and you can see that in that their combined ratio got too low um their profits got too big which and they grew slower than they intended i think that was in the early days of um iPhones and stuff, to be honest, I think is what was causing that problem. But I don't know that they've said that. What would you consider to be a good combined ratio? Oh, it depends on the um, stock, just like a margin. Uh, but anything under 100 would mean that you're making some profit and just from underwriting alone. Mm-hmm. And then it would depend on the business. Um, it also depends on how much you're writing versus um, statutory surplus, you know, how much you're writing in, in um premiums versus equity, we could say. So if you assume that you're leveraged about two times and you would want a profit margin, what would you want with a normal company? 10%? What do people look for in an operating margin? Sure. Okay. So Plus. so 5%, which is 95 combined ratio. So combined ratio is the same thing that they do with railroads and with banks. For whatever reason, they reverse it and state the expense portion as a fraction of like 100. Um, so a combined ratio just means that you have a 5% underwriting margin when you have a 95 combined ratio. 95 combined ratio means you're spending 95 cents of every dollar you bring in. Do insurance stocks always trade at uh, lower price earnings as well? They like banks in that way? Um, they sometimes do. Uh, yeah. There's a perception, yes. There is a perception that banks and insurers should trade at lower PE ratios. The, the only theory that supports that idea would be, of course, that they don't grow much. So if they have high dividend payout ratios and low returns on equity, they're retaining very low earnings, so it shouldn't matter much. And so it should really be priced based on income levels mm-hmm. that you're getting from it. That's Got the it. argument, yeah. So uh, you would be very worried about the type of underwriting they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that they have a very long history of success in underwriting in that business. Yeah. High retention rates, all things that we'd like in, I guess, a a regular business, and a long history of a low combined ratio. Yeah. Um, So specialized distribution of some kind. When you say like the retention rate thing, retention rate thing is kind of complicated. For an insurance company, you can retain the business. Um, Anyone can retain any business as long as they're willing to match price. I mean, you, people don't really leave their insurers. So, um, yeah, you can retain the business. If it's still if the business still exists, um, you can retain it, uh, but you would retain it at poorer prices. Mm-hmm. So th- those are factors to consider. And then you look into things. One of the reasons why I talk about Progressive, um, I, I've said this before, I think Progressive is probably better underwriter than Geico. Um, we talked to some people, and definitely the impression was that if you want to know where pricing is going in auto insurance, the best thing to do is look at where Geico, uh, where Progressive is quoting things now because the rest of the industry will be there in six months, meaning the policies you know, are six months at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, they have s- written more in like higher risk stuff over the years. 
and so they have a little more knowledge of that kind of thing and through agents where Geico hadn't done that. So I think that um, I think that knowledge of the risks that they're taking is useful. The other issue is like um, when we talk about the combined ratios and everything, it's very um, specific to how to put this. Um, Progressive would have had like a bad year, but they had a bad year in which the only reason for their year being so bad is that although they maintained their relative position in combined ratio versus other insurers, the other insurers were so out of line with what pricing should have been that it caused a bad year for Progressive. I don't blame Progressive for that. So I don't have a problem with seeing a combined ratio of 103 if the industry that year, your competitors had 118. Um, so it's kind of like when you're looking at investment manager or something. Uh, avoiding the bubbles, avoiding the crazy thinking about those sorts of things and falling into the group think with everyone else. It would be very easy for an insurer to copy other insurers very fast and get I- irrational and stuff. And they do that also on the investment side. And that's the other problem is the investment side. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, how do you judge the investment side then of an insurance company? I don't like the investment side of almost all insurers. There's very few that I've ever seen that I like their investment side. They don't usually think very clearly about insurance stuff. Buffett had written about insurance stuff. They should probably read that. Um, others have talked about it. But in general, they target too much in the form of earnings um, that they can report and too little in the form of generating long-term capital advantages. They're a huge... So Berkshire, if you look at their history, they don't talk a lot about this. But the way in which they invested their um, float and how successful they were in the early years is what set up everything later on. So why Berkshire could have premiums go down to by huge amounts and everything and all that is because they built up such a huge surplus in early years in large part from what the investments they made, which was a higher allocation to common stocks, higher allocation to smaller numbers of common stocks, holding them for longer, all that sort of stuff, which meant not reporting any sort of um, earnings from that. And most insurers don't do that. And so a lot of insurers even at fairly small size diversify too much, especially into things that aren't common stocks. And I think they don't think about other things that are important overall. So it's not that it's appropriate, like progressive might be appropriate for them to be invested entirely in very short term, um, like T-bills and stuff because they're taking a large amount of underwriting risk. Then they could take as much underwriting risk as they want. Progressive also borrows a bit. Um, other insurers, I think, would be better off if they kept more money in cash uh, than they do, more money in stocks, much less money in bonds and other kinds of investments, um, and then set their amount of underwriting that they were doing and the amount of investment more in line with each other, including with the amount of borrowing, looking at their overall business and looking at what it would look like compounded over time. Because if you get into a very strong financial position in like 10 years, then you have huge advantages, which is what Berkshire had. A big thing that people overlook with them is the financial strength. So I think it's very important to have a financially strong insurance company. I think there are big advantages to having that. And most of the insurance companies that people look at value investors are not that strong financially. So like, for instance, I think that AM Best rates insurance companies. It's a lot of people say that they're credit ratings. It's not really what they are. They're rating the protection of the policyholder. But um, I would say, the line you should think of in terms of division between like investment grade and questionable would be like a minus. 
Um, I would look for, you know, if, if you're rated less than a minus, look for reasons why that is and stuff like that. Yeah. So like a company like Gaines Co., do you remember what they were yes, rated? They were rated below a minus. Does that come from that the, own, t- the type of underwriting that they're doing? No, it was their own choice. So one, uh, they kept removing capital from the business. They were underwriting pretty large amounts um, while pulling out money instead of letting the money build up from the years in which they had strong combined ratios. So they made special dividend payments or stock buybacks or things like that, which, uh, you know, it worked out really well for them. They sold out at a big amount to another insurer. But that's the part why, that's why I didn't uh, buy Gainsco. I mean, to be honest, we, we, if we had talked to management stuff, maybe we would have felt differently. But the main one of, there were two main things. Um, one of them had to do with how legitimate their insurance was and stuff like that in terms of whether they just gotten better at like not paying, you know, legal stuff and things like that is why their loss ratio improved. But the other part of it is, um, they do minimum coverage stuff. Uh, the other part of it was definitely how aggressively they manage their balance sheet and stuff. Uh, not because it was that bad. There are other insurers that are bad, but you could be in a bad, and it wasn't bad. It just wasn't a rock solid, um, balance sheet. But why, if you have the opportunity to have a stronger balance sheet, do you not do that? And um, I think it may have been that they want to maximize returns, maximize return equity and things like that instead of maximizing long-term financial strength. And I think for an insurance company, it would make more sense not to take capital out, not to run it the way private equity firms run it and stuff in the early years, try to take money out and instead and maintain a really high leverage and stuff and instead allow it to get into a very strong position financially you could see that with with berkshire berkshire's um early insurance business they had some success with uh, national indemnity Mm -hmm. and then later on they would end up being a big holder of geico and stuff and they created a reinsurance business but most of their other insurance stuff was (laughs) wasn't that great on the not insurance side i mean there's worse but there's not you know there's a lot better too and they didn't have a huge amount of success with that, but they allocated capital differently and the way in which they allocated capital differently allowed them to be in a much better position 10 years or so after Buffett got into the insurance business. If Buffett had an own national indemnity, had been owned by someone else, I don't think national indemnity would have ever gotten to be a strong insurance company as it ended up being. So if you were to, let's say, give a blueprint, let's say you were going to start Jeff Gannon's insurance company and you were going to make the decisions of what to underwrite on, how to think about that. I mean, what would that look like? Well, the biggest thing is you have to be in a position. Well, you have to be in two positions. One, you have to be in a position where you can. Um, so there's two ways to think about it. There's sort of um, you can either optimize something like they were optimizing Gainsco for returns, or you can focus on a lot of reliability. So how efficient is it versus how reliable? Most kind of think how efficient and stuff. Um, Buffett thought how reliable to. How do I survive all these situations? So there's two kinds of situations that I think would be really big ones for insurance companies. I don't think investment risk is really a big one for insurance companies generally. You're not going to be wiped out by investment risk alone. Um, So the two are really, um, one, can you voluntarily reduce your premiums by a huge amount? Or for a very long time. That's important. Two, can you recover from a huge destruction of your equity? Those are the two. So something happens, including a big insurance loss or something like that. A large part of your tangible equity is eliminated. Can you recover from that? Very important. And then also, can you reduce your premiums? If you can't do either one of those, you have a, a insurance company that over time is not going to be a great compounder. Because when it does hit a problem where it goes down a lot, um, if you can't then 
recover from that in a big way, then a year like the financial crisis will cause permanent harm to you. But if you can come out of that writing as much business as you were before, then it really doesn't matter. It's a one-time loss. Buffett talked about American Express as, as if they lost a dividend check in the mail. Many companies don't have that because, because the capital um, constraints that they have, they make less money. I talk about an insurance company that I invest in, why I did it. The big thing that I think people overlook is it was writing at one times, um, its premiums were one times its surplus. So it had been making, let's say, a 15% return on equity or something. Once it loses a lot of money, it's just going to make a 30% return on equity the next year. Mm-hmm. Because the equity can drop by 50%, mm-hmm. but the equity dropping by 50% doesn't mean anything. Okay, the equity drops 50%. Now you're writing it two times. You can write it two times for a year. A lot of companies write two times all the time. So it's not a problem. If you're writing at three times, or if, like Geico was in when they hit problems, they're writing at like five or six, there's nothing you can do. You have to hugely shrink the company. So that's one of them. And then the other one is what Berkshire did, which is greatly reducing premiums, which is what you have to do. You have to be willing to greatly reduce premiums or exit entire lines of business and stuff if they're not attractive, if the pricing isn't attractive in them. And to set yourself up to do that, you have to kind of train your investors not to expect income. You probably shouldn't be paying dividends. Um, Almost all insurance companies pay dividends. It's not, it's kind of, it depends. I think in general, a lot of insurance companies would benefit a lot more from not paying dividends or from paying them sporadically and things like that. Um, And then questions about other stuff like Progressive does, like you said, borrow and things like that. Insurance companies, different ones use borrowing and preferred stock and all that kind of thing. Um, And Berkshire has had a huge advantage from doing that. Um, most insurance companies, you have to understand, it's the same as when we talk about like growth opportunities in, in, in a company. Why is it better to have growth opportunities? C's had like no growth opportunities and was a great stock for Berkshire. But if C's had been its own company, it probably would have caused problems to have almost no growth because it couldn't allocate the capital anywhere else. If you look at most insurance companies, the problem you're going to notice, or a lot of insurance companies, is you read the business description and say that their thing is workers' comp in California or whatever. Well, they're going to keep trying to write workers' comp in California even if it becomes a thing that they shouldn't do. And so they either have to pay you a lot of dividends or they have to grow a business that they shouldn't really grow, you know, that kind of thing. And Berkshire was able to reallocate into different kinds of businesses. So what happens a lot with insurance things is you get somewhat tricky kind of situations for investors to look at. So I'll give you a few. So UVE is one. Let's see it. So UVE, if you type this, is universal insurance. This is one of a few different, or I forget if they call themselves just insurance holdings. Okay. So this company writes homeowners insurance, basically, in Florida. So uh, it writes in a few other states, but that's not meaningful. So um, its business is basically related to hurricanes in Florida. I don't know that I like the management of this or the history of it or whatever, but I will point out a few things. I've read discussions of it and stuff, and I think that they're um, a little unusual, the discussions, in terms of how they perceive the risk here. Um, This company is using reinsurance. Uh, The company also has built up some capital over time, as you can see. So... I won't say that this company is incredibly safe, but what might surprise you is that this company, and then you can look up the AMBEST ratings and stuff to see that I'm not the only one saying this, um, that a lot of time that you might be looking at a non-standard auto company or something that looks like they make money every year, and they're not actually any safer than this company is. And that's because although this company has exposure to um, 
hurricane stuff in a huge way, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they would wipe out the company by doing that uh, because they have reinsurance stuff. And also because of the capital position, that's the other thing to consider. Like, um, I guess insurance is all about risk. And so when people analyze insurance stocks, I think they can think in ways that are maybe when you analyze them again, like your own thinking about it, you realize it's a little off. So for instance, if there were two major hurricanes in the same year for this company, I think this company says that would be like a one in 50 year event for them. I don't know if I believe them to be a hundred percent honest, but let's pretend that I do believe them. Um, if that's the case, how likely is it that there will be an outbreak of something like COVID again next year? It might be one in 50. Mm-hmm. It's probably similar. So how many of your stocks are exactly as exposed to COVID risk of that magnitude as this company is? If this company says we'll lose 30% of our equity or 50% or whatever, but then how does the company recover from that? So just because it's like this risk that a company identifies, with insurance companies, you can always easily identify what they're, what they're writing. And so people get worried about that category, mm-hmm. you know? Um, is this a type of category that you'd be interested in? Depends. So this one has a really weird situation that we could get into. I think that their reinsurance cost is their advantage here over time. Okay, so what do you mean by that? <laughs> okay, so um, I think this is similar to like securitization and subprime and stuff. So I think that securitization and subprime auto stuff created some issues for the original lenders where it encouraged too loose standards and stuff. Here, I think that it's possible that um, their reinsure their cost of reinsurance may be lower than it should be. And if it is, then their earnings might be higher than they should be because, in a sense, they're putting off some risk onto someone else that um, is not priced right. And so I'm not sure I disagree with the pricing of the risk that they're retaining in the market. Um, I mean, in other words, I'm not sure that I wouldn't like to buy the stock and bet on that. But they're not going to be able to have these same reinsurance forever, probably. Why are they getting this reinsurance now? I don't know enough about the markets and stuff, but it probably has to do with very low interest rates. So it's just they're not. there may not be other ways for you know um, people to get large amounts of money what led you to those insights i read the 10k and stuff um there's a lot about reinsurance in it i mean the biggest as soon as i knew what they were writing i was Mm -hmm. like what reinsurance is it with who and how much and Uh how big and all that kind of stuff um i mean i think one of their top i forget if they're new one of their top executives his job is the reinsurance agreements. Really? I mean, like they have a position that I forget what the position says, but to me it read like head of making deals with the reinsurers. Um, Cause that's really important for a business like this. Yeah. So anyway, and it, so it could be taking unusual risks and stuff. The Florida has a whole history of this sort of a government involvement in it and everything to make sure that everyone can get the insurance. There are a couple different companies around with it. Look at that, that growth and retain earnings. Yeah, so that is it. But see the but see that's key. So this is where like so how so how far did their retained earnings go up in ten years? I mean, so it's gone from let's see eighty four million to five hundred seventy four million in ten right. years. Yeah. So that's like oh I don't know what it is, but twenty percent or something yeah, growth. Uh-huh. It's incredible growth. Um, it, ten times in ten years would be twenty four percent growth. So yeah, so probably twenty percent or something. Um, that's what I would say you should do. 
to be honest. Um, is what? What they did. Hold the retained earnings, allow it to compound? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they'd be in a terrible position if they weren't retaining a huge amounts of earnings to get to this. Um, do they pay a dividend? Like what you said most so insurance companies look, do? I look at the, you can look at their balance sheet. Well, you can look at their cash, cash flow. flow. Yeah, cash flow see. is one possibility, but I was going to say. Yeah, they do. Yeah. You could look at it, but they do. Do they do? Um, they don't do a regular dividend, right? I thought they did. I don't remember if they do a special dividend or what. But um, if you look at their balance sheet, you can also see some things. The other issue with this is how much cash they have. So, I mean, this is one way of looking into it, that um, they have a lot of cash. Um, and it, relative to, like, how much they're writing in premiums and things like that. Now, how much they're writing in premiums isn't necessarily the same thing as how much they could lose. You could lose a lot in the years where you have a few big hurricanes. But then there's also things like, you know, we can't analyze this company based on the, the background of it. But hurricanes are not they're, – they're not that complex a phenomena as far as things go in insurance. Um, it's a lot easier to analyze. The, when I said the thing about progressive and the issue about, like, driving, distracted driving, we don't know anything about distracted driving. So when it first started happening, we don't know if that's much worse, the same, not as bad as if everyone was driving drunk. So they need – that's, like, a thing that has to be um, – that you could really have a hard time quantifying. With hurricanes, it's pretty easy to quantify, and we have examples. I mean, Andrew was a pretty bad hurricane. And so you could look, and then you could, like, update your models and things to see how much more um, value there is near places that would be hit and all of that. Um, and, and then the other thing about a stock like this is that you'll see opportunities sometimes if it has a few bad years for uh, hurricanes in a row. The biggest problem is if they have a few years in a row with not bad hurricanes and they'll report good earnings and people might look at things like their return mm-hmm. equity and stuff. Um, so, But that's a company that would be perceived to be taking very high risks and maybe they are. Then there's other extreme companies. I forget the name of it. Is it, is it AMCAT or ACMAT? Um, that does... Um, that had once taken risks and things and then basically uh, you could see over time that they cut down to having basically taking no risk anymore um so you can see reactions to companies and insurance that are exactly the opposite way there's um n star is a company that does uh just runoff basically i mean not just runoff they do do you know the ticker e-n-s-t-a-r um so they take other insurance companies um promises to make payments and they make those payments over time by doing runoff stuff Hmm. Um, you're going to, when you look at insurance companies, you will hear a lot about runoff, not for things like, um, progressive and stuff. Cause they don't change their business model all that much, but lots of insurance companies are going to have some stuff in runoff because they've, they're no, they don't want to be in some business anymore, but they made promises. And in some insurance things, you could make promises that would mean that you have to pay things for many, many years, even though you don't intend to be in that business for a long time. And there are other ways to try to stop doing it. I think I mentioned this podcast once before. There's a company that said it was going to get out of business, kept raising its prices and the policies. If you read carefully, kept growing. And then they said, okay, it's going to be in runoff and it's going to be a huge deal to get rid of it and stuff. But that told you that their pricing was bad and that even raising it a lot, they were still having problems. Um, So... NSTAR is like impossible to understand its financials, right? Like if you look at quick FS, it doesn't make any sense what's happening. Um, and you have to read their presentations and everything. 
and that's the same thing with what we just said about Universal. I don't think you should just look at the return. I mean, if you just looked at Universal's return equity and the price to book and all that, you might say, okay, well, should I buy it based on those things? Mm-hmm. People like to analyze, you know, value investors a lot of times like to analyze that. What's the return on equity? What's, you know, um, and that's fine, but you have to factor in, okay, but how big will the loss be in a year in which there's several hurricanes? Um, Is this the company you would actually be interested in, you think? I'm interested in what they're doing. I don't know if I'm interested in the company. I've looked at it a lot. But um, there's some things about the company itself that I'm not 100% on board with. But I do feel like... It's down like almost 50% since 2019. Yeah, I do feel like when investors talk about insurance companies and stuff, Florida hurricane insurance, I feel like is something that they may be saying something I don't agree with. Their, their, their perception of it is different than my perception of it. Um, it just like there, there'd be other things that sound much safer and my perception of them is not so safe. Um, but like, because it depends on things like what we just went over with this company, right? Mm-hmm. So they retained a huge amount of earnings. It makes a big deal of difference whether you've retained those earnings all those years. If the company was trying to pay out very high, consistent dividends all through that time and things like that, and also just things like the balance sheet stuff like we talked about. When you look at things about how much is being reinsured at what levels and stuff, and also just balance sheet stuff, I mean, um, if we... And then to get into all of it, but the um, the premiums to surplus and all that kind of stuff, if you look, um, they're... Uh, where they have the actual cash that they can show, which is the point that I was making, yeah. So if you, um, some insurance companies, so we tend to just add up all cash and securities and stuff, right? So like you had, when you look at a normal company, you're like yeah. stocks, bonds, mm-hmm. whatever, all together. But if a company is keeping a fairly large amount of uh, insurance companies keeping stuff that's very, very liquid, um, it could absorb a very large amount of that if you think about it in a loss, the losses don't have to be paid that fast usually. There's some time, you know, you'd have to analyze that. But it's not like you're going to have to pay all of it out today. So if you had $400 million in cash, even if a hurricane happens that causes $400 million in losses, you're not paying that today. You'll pay it out over time. It doesn't necessarily mean you're liquidating your actual investment portfolio in cases like that. If you can, and especially if, like, say you're not paying a dividend or you eliminate your dividend during that period or whatever, I think the perception is like you're like i said like you're liquidating your portfolio but it depends on how much you have mm-hmm. in things like cash and so a company like that actually has a lot i mean do you have what their revenues um, yeah i could pull it up really quick yeah. though what happened do you know what happened to their securities and investments from june 2020 to september 2020 because it was 1.8 billion and then this has it at about 900 million well it was probably turned into cash got it Got it. Okay, so you want their... I mean, that's a positioning thing. That, I mean, we could... I, If you do the math by dividing that, I don't think most insurance companies would keep that much that liquid. Which, I just talked about that, how I prefer that. Do you know what they're doing with those investments? What is that? Um, I don't remember other than that, you know, government bonds or whatever. That yeah. is short-term stuff. Um, total revenue. Okay, so we have that pulled up on the screen. It's grown from... 240 million in 2010 to 939 million in 2019. Okay. Um, but like cash is like what half of premiums? Mm. Um, something like that. 
we don't have details about the premiums written, the premiums seated, and all that stuff here. But you could look at that. I mean, um, yeah, cash is about four or five million. The right the, now. the bigger issue though is, which is the math that you do, is like cash is not just cash, but all their securities, their a lot of the different numbers you would look at is really quite big versus their normal losses. And that's the other thing to keep in mind. The thing that should vary is the loss ratio. Um, so when you look at the risk of a company, insurance company, um, a lot of people will say like, oh, well, so they had a 105 combined ratio or something. I mean, they had a 95 combined ratio. What does it take to get to 105? It depends. Um, for a company with 65% expense ratio, well, it actually takes a lot because your your losses have to go up by... Uh, 10% of your sales, but your losses are only 35% of your sales. So we're talking about a pretty big miscalculation in terms of losses, right? Um, so it depends. Like I said, I invest in an insurance company where that was about what it was. They, they only were paying out maybe 35 cents on the dollar. Most of their expenses and stuff, most of their, um, most of what you were seeing as expenses were actually the expenses of running the business selling and not the expenses of losses flip that to a health insurance company or something, it's almost all actual losses with almost nothing to run the business, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so a small miscalculation there is a big deal. So it depends on the, you know, how big is the loss um, ratio, if you want to do it that way. How big is the loss ratio and then how are premiums related to it or just how big are, how I would do it. How big are losses normally in a year? Do you normally lose $300 million a year? Okay. Well, how big is your portfolio and stuff, you know? How big is your equity? Is your equity many times what your losses are? Then it has to be a pretty big miscalculation to cause permanent damage. Mm -hmm. And the other thing wiped is wiped out. Yeah, and but then being wiped out. Okay, so this is what we talked about before. It depends when you're wiped out by a huge loss that you know will send shareholders running and stuff. That your equity is down twenty percent or whatever. You show this huge number reduction in book value. Can you do much the same business next year? Or does this put you on a permanently different trajectory? Geico in the 70s put it on a permanently different trajectory. It was way over, um, had way too much um, uh, leverage. And so as soon as it lost equity and stuff, it had to pull out from things. It took years and years before it could get to the same size. But then you have other companies where if they're really under leverage in terms of their underwriting leverage, um, could come back pretty quickly from some sort of losses. You know, it mm -hmm. would depend. Um, the other thing with a company like this is for the most part they're taking the same risk year after year it's fairly easy to figure out which years had problems uh, in the industry and stuff so it's very easy to check on a company like Universal Insurance the ones that are harder are the ones that are in a bunch of different things that are really hard to figure out what they're doing so um, you don't know uh, like we know kind of what the general loss experience was with, with um, or what combined ratios actually were for all the companies for, um, say, auto insurance in a given year. It really is not hard to figure out, oh, there were no hurricanes in Florida this year. There was a lot. Obviously, mm -hmm. also a major portion, I mean, a meaningful portion of their losses are not from the hurricane part. What I'm saying is that the only part that you have to worry about, really, I mean, not the only part, but there's a normal homeowner's insurance loss sort of thing that should happen for a variety of reasons that's probably less volatile than the um hurricane part but what you're kind of looking at with the company is how much hurricane risk are they retaining how much doesn't go to a reinsurer 
and how much is hurricane risk as opposed to just losses that they pay out all the time because those are probably pretty steady and my guess is that everyone in florida what the rates are and everything it's really about the hurricane well you that's what you're really afraid of yeah um and you know there's lots of other insurers that are uh of that same sort of difficulty of analyzing i just think a lot of people would look at the company and say oh this is great because it's this price and this um good return on equity. good return on equity mm-hmm. and whatever or they would say this is the, these risks are just i can't handle them you know that they're taking or whatever uh it would it would break down in their mind into something very simple either way because with the insurance stuff that happens all the time and i don't know that that would happen with most companies that you realize that it's really just a big bet on one sort of um risk that they have that way yeah what about like crop insurance and stuff that's uh, i guess correlated to farmers yeah well we talked about um farmer mac before um which does you know um mortgage lending um I think that any insurance company in any field that you could think of could potentially be interesting, but you'd have to learn about it and learn about the specifics of who their competitors are, what they do, and all that. What you want to be very, very careful of, and especially with what I was just saying about um, Universal and stuff, and NSTAR are good examples. The problem is that after I talked about them, what you're likely to do is go and read their presentations. And I don't even know if the present management can, f- I always am, I, it's okay to talk to management and stuff, but you, most people are going to take whatever management says to be the frame of how to think about the business. So after I talk to you about Universal, or we mentioned that NSTAR does all the runoff and stuff, what people will do is they'll go and they'll read the investor presentation for that company, and they'll let that shape them. And they get shaped by it to an extent the way you would with Valiant or something. And that's a pretty big problem because do you, it would be very easy to present things as more attractive or less attractive than they really are. We talked about um, litigation finance stuff. Same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. All insurance stuff is like litigation finance. It would be very easy for the company or a short seller, a short seller to present a, I think, overly negative view on the company or for the company to present an overly positive sort of view of how they do things. They'll always say that they have risks covered in all sorts of different ways and stuff. Um, so I, my biggest concern would be if you don't know a lot about um, agriculture and you don't know a lot about crop insurance and stuff, then it's going to be risky because unless you have a bunch of different things to read on it, you're going to be reading an investor presentation or a write-up that's all about the positive on this one stock, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, at least with Farm Act, the thing you have is that huge short report that, um, was it Ackman? Correct, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody actually recently asked about this on our uh, last Q&A, but I don't believe that we... Oh, um, answered it. But basically, he was making the case. He or she was making the case for buying. Yeah, I don't know that. I, same as Universal. I'm not sure I like the organization, so I don't know that I have an opinion one way or the other on the organization. Uh, do I like the kind of business model and stuff of what they're doing? And could it be attractive? Uh, Federal Agriculture Mortgage Corporation, um, uh, Farmer Mac, yeah. So Farmer Mac, yes. Universal Insurance, yes. I think what they're doing. Um, farm and ranch loans and stuff, uh, that, that core part of it. Just like I think that the homeowner's insurance, meaning like hurricane risk in Florida, I think both of those things are actually potentially interesting and you could make a lot of money if you retained earnings for a long time and stuff in them. But I do want to 
caution, I've seen no evidence at either company that they're anything like, you know, Berkshire's insurance operations early days and stuff like where Buffett talked about being able to dial back and everything. I don't know that either of these companies would stop um, and would really pull in on growth. They, d I think both think of themselves as real growth companies and present themselves to investors that way. Well, does Universal have an investor presentation? Yes, they do. Um, they do, yeah. Uh, That'd be interesting to look at. Yeah. Um, and they were kind of, well, you saw the stock chart. They were once kind of popular as a stock, I think. Yeah, I mean, it looks like, I mean, it was going crazy, looks like. Yeah. Um, For people listening, the stock was at 45 bucks in November of 2018. Now it's at 16, but. And if I remember, they didn't ran up. They haven't lot. really lost money. What they've done is not made any money. Um, but you know that will happen. Let's take now, a peek at there. Now a big part of it would have been on usually good insurance uh, um, hurricane period, right? So like in the Gulf and stuff, you haven't really had. Is that what investors look like? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you haven't really had. Um, a very bad, whatever, uh, 10 years or so or whatever. Really, almost as soon as there was big news stories about um, the period with, what, um, Katrina and the next, what, three, four years of after that and stuff. Um, so for most of the last decade to 15 years or something, it's been pretty quiet. So if you notice on the bottom right there, that is a ratings firm that is not AM Best. Demotech, mm. financial stability rating. Yep. Demotech. It, it's a rating that you get if you don't get an A invest rate. I mean, it, it's a rating that's including investor presentations only when they don't want to give you an A invest yeah, rating. That's something that jumped out to you right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Five years average return on equity, 26%. Yep, that's true. Strong. Yeah. But at least if you see here, like my, um, what my point is about how quickly, if you have a period of, and, and it's luck, if you have a period of good underwriting and all that, sure, there's parts of it that are like that. You can't decide those things. But to make, to build up a lot of capital in an insurance company can happen quickly if you do it. And then it can put you in a better position later. Now, if you're determined to like keep showing good EPS growth and stuff, it won't matter. It won't help you out. But if you want to be the next Berkshire, you have to retain a lot. You have to make a lot. And you have to be you know, willing during that period to grow and stuff um, and to keep your capital in at that point. I just mean it, it's not hard to solve like a bad balance sheet or something insurance if you have a good underwriting period if you, as long as you're not paying out a lot of dividends. As you can see there, they grew book value. Wow. What? Yeah, 20 to percent Kager, five-year Kager. Yeah, so but they went from a two hundred million dollar company to a five hundred million dollar company by equity in like five years. Mm -hmm. It's a nice presentation. Yeah, I know that worries me. <laughs> it's very like the so. Homeowners multi-parallel. You know, they talk about that. Um, and there's some. Yeah, the other thing is I don't know how easy are they to read and stuff. So these presentations, because I was thinking about this, there is some jargon in it and stuff, I guess. Um, you know, there's – because, like, for instance, they're saying leveraging domain experience and cat expose, you know, what they're saying is hurricanes. They don't – but, I mean, it doesn't say hurricanes mm -hmm. anywhere on the page. So it is something to keep in mind. Um, hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah. The other thing is they do intend to do more stuff outside of Florida, yeah, which so everyone does to diversify. States. I don't know if that's, you know. Interesting. They got to do it. I mean, everyone does it. No one stays just focused on it. Um, that was a really nice presentation. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? That's funny. Well, that's interesting. Very interesting. So do they acquire other insurance companies So there's as well? the combined ratio. No. I mean, well, I mean, technically to get into other fields like that, mm-hmm. yes. But um, I don't know that there's a lot of insurance companies that want to write um, in Florida mm-hmm. necessarily. There's a handful that account for a lot of the business. And it's a huge business. Obviously, Florida is one of the biggest states in the country and definitely one of the biggest states for co- for covering insurance stuff um, for so just when you're looking at the combined ratio, you get an idea. But you see what I meant about loss, right? So here's an issue. So, and this is why you have to kind of read it carefully, right? So they don't really make a mention of this. But you'll notice that in 2019, their loss ratio was almost twice as high as it had been in 14 and 15, uh-huh. right? And that does show up in the combined ratio and everything, but it's worth thinking about that they had a loss ratio, that their losses, right, if I'm re- I'm you know, trying to read this here is 70 something percent now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, whereas it had been at 30 something percent. Yeah. So what's on, causing that? Uh, well, I'm sure they talk about it and explain why that is. Uh, uh, the obvious one, you know, is, so you're doing a ratio. So you got your, your price up here uh-huh. and then your whatever below. So same as with a stock, what's causing the PE, PB, PS to be high. The price is high mm-hmm. or low. Mm-hmm. It's usually the price, so you have to look into that. But the the normally the best expl- the first explanation to think of is the one that people usually ignore, which is uh, pricing. Pricing is usually the explanation. Now, investors and stuff when they talk about it, usually give reasons for why there was unusual loss or something, which could be the reason. It could definitely be the reason when you see big spikes and losses and things like there was a hurricane one year and there wasn't another year. But a very common one is you used to be able to get $100 for some sort of policy that you're now getting $90 for, and it really isn't any less risky than it was before because um, it's very cyclical. The insurance industry is that way. So that's the first thing you should always look for, and I think always look as the most likely explanation is pricing. Um, I don't try not to believe things about, like, lost stuff when they that's the first explanation. So, oh, there you go. And so they talk about their reinsurance stuff in, in detail. Um this is a very busy slide. And you can, I think it's probably the most important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's the most important slide because they're not giving us a lot of information on it. But it is, I, my feeling is with this company, the most important thing to understand is the reinsurance. Um, who's the reinsurance with um, and all those sorts of things. And why do they do it the way that they do it? They said it's uh, robust. Yes. Reinsurance program. Mm-hmm. And so then they have the different... They give the explanation of the different events that you can see there, um, which is a coverage thing. So what's happening is that they get a different amount of coverage based on that. I mean, we don't want to get into all that sort of stuff, but definition of what an event is and stuff. I think with hurricanes, it's pretty simple to understand what an event is. It's not likely that two hurricanes are going to, anyone's going to dispute whether it was two separate events. But um, yeah. So if we look, oh, um, yeah. So there we go. If you look here, you get some more explanation, right? 
of the fund. Mm-hmm. So I talked about this before, where they have the Florida Cat Fund and all that sort of thing, um, which is a state-specific fund. Um, and then there's also, we hadn't talked about um, the uh, reserves, so which is a very big factor in insurance stuff, is looking at the reserves that they have and we talk, I think in some other podcasts, we talked about things like incurred but not reported and all that kind of stuff. So depending on the kind of insurance that they're writing and everything, there may be a significant amount of stuff that they know about or don't know about, but estimate that they has already happened um, that needs to get paid off over time. And then there's questions about like how long that takes and everything. Uh, one of the things I always calculate as best I can with insurance stuff is how long is it really taking them to pay this stuff out? You know, mm-hmm. um, and you can see some of that with the reserve stuff if you get specific business understanding of that. I think people's perceptions is generally that it's faster than it is. So for like um, car, I don't think people realize how long it actually takes the insurance company to make all the payments that would be necessary after an event has happened that's a loss. Um, so they actually have use of money for longer than you might think uh, on average, especially for pretty things where they'd be paying out a lot. Got it. Cool. Well, we are at 50 minutes. So our goal was 30 minutes and we're at 50, mm-hmm. but that's all good. So I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us here today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on YouTube. That hacks the algorithm much more than leaving a rating and review. Yeah. Subscribe to the podcast. Mm-hmm. We appreciate all the support. Trying to get the word out there. 250 plus episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you in the next podcast.